And we're continuing on with our journey through 1 Timothy. We've uh, probably on the second half of things. We're on 1 Timothy chapter 4 and we'll be looking at that chapter as we go through today. And so I invite you, if you've got your scriptures there and you'd like to keep a track of things, then by all means go there. Does anyone uh, know whereabouts this scene is that you see on the screen behind you? And Chris Driscoll isn't allowed to say. Oh, it's Chris's place. <laughs> and there's his, uh, the ute that Grandpa built <laughs> in the background there. Anyway, let's pray before we look at 1 Timothy 4. Gracious Lord, your word has amazing stuff for us. Uh, things that uh, we just wouldn't work out on our own. We had to have them brought in from outside of ourselves. So please open our ears, open our hearts to understand and our fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit to live out what we find. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, which is our time, it's the period before Christ comes back again from when he's come to later times, so... There's probably some very contemporary stuff in here. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and they order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For, and this is big, everything God created is good. Everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. A good reason for saying grace, guys. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. So this is a letter to Timothy and it's telling him about how to be a good pastor. So that's why I'm saying if you point these things out, you'll be a good minister. Nourished on, what do you get nourished on? The truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you've followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training, it's of some value, but godliness, this is a big sentence, godliness has value for all things, all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And that's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And that's why we labour and strive, because we put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. So Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. And then interestingly, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. And until I come, because Paul was hoping to come and visit them again, he said, devote yourself to a public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching, because that's his gift, and do not neglect your gift. It was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, 
so that everyone may see your progress. And finally, put it all together. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I wonder if you were looking at some of the things that seem to be going on in the world today and you say, how can they do such a thing? How, how could they do that? And basically you just hold on to an optimism that surely common sense is going to prevail one day. Because I think the average Aussie doesn't believe that this stupidity can actually win the day. But what do we see in this passage of the Bible today? about such things going on. And it's particularly talking about in the church, not in the world, but there's similarities. And they say, how can they say stuff like that? Can't they see that that's just rubbish? Well, if you're wondering how it is these things happen, look at verse 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron seared and I heard a preacher relating how he'd seen a cat, some cattle branded and he'd gone up and he'd run his hands over the brand and he'd felt the burnt hard scar and he also knew that the nerves underneath that scar had also been killed basically demolished and so there was no feeling there left for the cow and that's what happens to people who abandon the faith and follow after non-biblical teachings Gradually, over time, that's like that frog in the kettle that stays there. The water's getting a little bit hot. There's no problems. It just slowly gets up. And one day, their conscience has been cauterized, which means burnt. And it's plain that that has happened to many people in the world. They've ignored the Holy Spirit and that inner sense of what's right and wrong so many times, they no longer even feel that they're doing anything wrong. And so, friends, we will wait forever for them to come to their senses because they will never come to their senses. They will only change if forced into a corner like a rat. So this verse is saying, stop waiting for common sense to prevail. Take action in the public sphere and go in prayer as you do. And if you wonder why the Christian viewpoint is under attack in Australia, it's because we are being opposed by people like this, people whose conscience has been cauterised. And they truly believe that their misguided ideas are correct. But that's not unexpected. And Paul confirms that same idea in his second letter. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3 and see the confirmation. But I realise this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. They'll be unloving, irreconcilable, how many times have you heard irreconcilable differences? Malicious gossips, without self-control, it's all about self-expression. Brutal, haters of good. Treacherous, reckless, 
conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good, holding to a form of godliness so they can look religious, they can look spiritual, having a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Well, you could be talking about what we see on the mass media, but this was back 2,000 years ago. Has mankind changed since then? Will it change? Not until the Lord returns. And it's not just out in the world. Some of this is in the church. And how did it get there? Well, think about the foundation. How did these ideas get there? Back to 1 Timothy 4. What's it say in verse 1? Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Not like a demon necessarily will appear in your bedroom and tell you stuff, but you know, underlying the thoughts that are around circulating in the world, where does it all come from? You know, over the years I've enjoyed many discussions about philosophies and religions and it's been a bit of fun, a bit of light-hearted sport. But the further I go along, the more I realise that the many non-biblical philosophies exist because there is a father of lies. There is a devil. There is Satan. And Satan's basic character is to be a liar. And that means he lies all the time. Since he led Adam and Eve into thinking they could get off the reservation and be their own selves, he's been inventing and he's been disseminating anti-God ideas ever since. And he and his followers have been working on inventing interesting and semi-plausible and excitingly attractive ideas for thousands of years. And particularly he wants to get that into the biblical arena, into churches if he can. And here's a side thought that I came across as I was researching. He's also a murderer. We don't know if Jesus, sorry, if Satan knew that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. But even if he did know that, he would have still wanted to kill him because he's a murderer. That's his character. And so that's behind it, the underlying, the underpinning, invisible forces driving things. And the Apostle Paul's not impressed with that. And he calls out the heretical teachings of his day and he calls them what they are, schemes from the pit. I don't know how people can lie outright, but that's what Paul says, just what they do. And Solomon, the wisest man in the world, he says something similar. If you go into Proverbs chapter 10, verse 6, we came across this in our Wednesday night Bible study and I commend that to you. Uh, well, I think we've got the Zoom thing working pretty good. If you can't actually come in, uh, see if you can work out how to join in. This verse, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And you know you can hear some people talking and you know they're only talking to distract you from what's going on underneath the surface behind the scenes. Now what about the specifics? In Timothy's time, these liars were infiltrating the church and they're saying a couple of things in our passage here. You shouldn't get married and you shouldn't eat certain foods. And so what was going on around them was a, a blend. The ancient Greek theologies and, and philosophies, Jewish legalistic thinking and something else called Gnostic thinking. Uh, 
that the idea that there's a secret knowledge that you need to plug into. And their big idea was that the earth, creation, everything in it was evil. And it was just like that movie, The Matrix, which many of us have loved. They believe that we are imprisoned unknowingly in a largely evil world. And so if that's the case, you either did everything possible to distance yourself from the pleasures of this world, to put to death the evil flesh and creation, or you indulge yourself to the max because uh, it doesn't matter because everything's fallen. It's no good anyway. And what was the answer to that that Paul affirmed? That God actually, no, this world is actually good. The flora and the fauna are good and you should thankfully receive it and you should pray over it and trust God for it. And that's what he's saying in verse 4. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. The other thing that was happening in those days was something called godless myths. We saw that in verse 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths. The Gnostics of those days were quite good at getting into a heightened spiritual emotional state. And then they would pay close attention to the ideas and the feelings, impressions which came to them while they were worshipping or away in their imaginations, in their ecstatic experiences. And out of that came many, many stories which they would, to give them credibility, would write down and call them myths. To call it was a myth was a way of saying, this is, this is a credible thing. And they did all manner of uh, coming up with false documents to prove the stories and false genealogies to prove who came from there and so and so. For them... If something happened in the emotional world, that was real. It felt real, therefore it had to be real. And there's no need to check it out, out against the word of God because yes, it felt so real. And how many of us have heard the classic phrase, how can something which feels so good be wrong? Well, the answer is, no matter how good and right it feels, if it's against the word of God, at some point, it's going to come back and bite you in the tail. And you probably won't even know why the tail is sore because your conscience will be cauterized and many people who are suffering don't get fixed because they haven't realized that the core of their problem is actually rebellion against God and his word and his way of doing things. And so should we keep silent when you hear funny ideas? Strange things. What does Paul say to Timothy? If you point these things out. Point them out to the brothers and sisters. If you do that, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus and you'll be nourished on the truth of the faith and of the good teachings that you have followed. Yes, pointing out bad ideas is a good thing to do because remember, where did the bad ideas ultimately come from? Mm. They are not harmless and I'd like to talk for a moment about one other aspect of the teaching of demons mentioned in the passage and that is the that is legalism so there's a very widespread view amongst mankind 
And in order to get in right with your favourite God, you have to do certain things, do certain things, and not do other things. In other words, you just have to do stuff. And the teachings about food, well, it started off, you know, God in the Old Testament had these teachings about what foods were good for you and what weren't, and then there were, that sort of pived off and there was a mystic group called the Essenes, and they elevated those teachings from just being instructions. They said, well, they're prerequisites to getting God's favour. You need to do these things to get God's favour, to make him take you more seriously, to make it more likely that you're going to be saved to make it more likely that your prayers will be answered. And so this idea that if you do the right things and you don't do the wrong things, that'll make you right with God, that's legalism. The interesting thing is that when people call Christian wowsers because they don't do certain things, they're actually looking from a perspective of legalism because they think, you're saved by what you do and what you don't do. And they don't understand it's them who are playing the game, not Christians. They're the ones under a legalistic cloud because they're trying to do good. They're trying to be good by doing the things they think, this is what I ought to be doing, and I don't do those things because I'm not like those guys. And when people think that they're saved by the things they do, the mean is they're not submitting to God. They're still believing in and maintaining their own power to save themselves. They're still saying it's by their work that they're obtaining or purchasing or making a deal with God. That's going to save them. And one of the hardest realisations and most important realisations to face is you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. Sometimes people who've had many of the normal things we take for granted stripped away from them, maybe their physical strength's been taken away, maybe they've lost money or health, they sometimes can realise that more easily, that they have nothing. And only God can save them. And the way to be saved is not about doing it, it's about trusting about trusting in the gift of salvation which God provides when you trust in Jesus. We see Paul saying that very clearly in the letter he wrote to the Ephesians. He says, for by grace, you know, it's, you've got favour here from God. You've been saved through doing things? No, through faith. And even that's not of yourself. The faith is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. You know, it's easy to slip into a bit of legalism even as a good Christian because it's easy to feel that because you read your Bible, you prayed a lot, you gave money, you served the community. Well, you know, I'm a good Christian. I must have extra spiritual power and authority because of it. And it's easy to feel that your good Christian work earns you more, more credos more attention from God, more blessings, more authority. But God doesn't bless you because of what you've done. He doesn't bless you because of your merits and skills. He blesses you because he is God. And he always chooses to bless those who live according to his precepts. We don't have to be strong because he is strong. And our job is to trust that strength more and more 
increasingly and in becoming increasingly more godly in our lifestyle. And what a burden is just released when you realise you don't have to be good enough for Jesus because you can never be good enough. So accept that and stop trying to be good enough and come just as you really are. Come freely and thankfully and say, yes, Jesus, please forgive me. I'll go your way. And so that's the first big idea in the chapter. There are false teachers about. And the second idea is this notion I've mentioned, godliness. Verse 8, it says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things and holds promise for both this present life and the life to come. So if you wanted a tip about something which is so valuable that it has, valuable for, it has value for all things, you just have to remember that. Godliness has value for all things. And we're going to look at the rest of the chapter to see what that means. Godliness, we'll scan through firstly in verse 12, there's the issue of posture. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. See, that's the posture of not being the victim. You're, you've got something here. Have that posture, an inner attitude to life, which means no one can look down on you because you have an inner strength from your relationship with God. And it comes from, as we see in that verse, it comes from being an example for the believers because the way you speak, the way you conduct yourself, the love that you show, the faith and the purity which you seek, they should be shining from your life. And all those things are good and they're wonderful and no one can look down on you for doing these things. And don't let them try and criticise you because they don't know what they're talking about. What does godliness come from? The Bible. Teaching it, preaching it. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourselves to what? What's this thing? A public reading of scripture? The preaching and the teaching. And godliness also comes from exercising your spiritual gifts. Verse 14, do not neglect your gift, which is given through prophecy. The body of elders laid their hands on you. God gives all of us some spiritual gifts to make our own unique contribution in our town, in our church, in your family. And there's a good acknowledgement in here about being a work in progress. Timothy was a work in progress. If he was diligent, if he gave himself to the scriptures and exercising his pastoral gifts, then people would see him doing what? I see him getting better, making progress, see him improve. And that's the same message for all of us. We're not perfect, but if we keep at it, people will see us improve. doesn't matter what age and stage we are. We are never finished. So he says that in verse 15, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Are you the same place with Jesus this year as you were last year? Will you be in a different place again next year? There should be progress. And then putting it together, godliness is about integrity, which is putting together your life, what's your life, what's your doctrine closely, Notice this thing? You don't just hang about casually. You persevere in them. Because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hero and your hearers. 
So your life and the ideas you teach, the doctrines you follow, they've got to be integrated. And in order to do that, you need to watch them. Check yourself. And then persevere in the good stuff you know. You will do certain things. And you deliberately will not do other things. Not because you believe that will save you or earn your credit. But because your loving God has shown you that that's a better way to live. You live God's way because it works. Because his Holy Spirit enables you to live at a higher standard of purity and wholesomeness because it leads you to be more godly and that benefits both yourself and other people and it will even save some people. So just to wrap it up, there's lots of old and new ideas circulating in the world. They get repackaged in new clothing over and over and they try to capture your attention and you've got to be on guard, on guard about that to interesting new ideas which try to slip sideways into your mind. And pursuing godliness is the best protection against them. As Paul counselled Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in that quest so that you'll save yourself and save others. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, life and doctrine, godliness, being like you as much as we can, growing in that, progressing in that. Maybe we're saying this morning, gee, I think I need to recommit to that. Just in this moment, will you do business with Jesus? Will you say yes to Jesus? Will you say, Lord, please forgive me for not persevering in godliness? Please forgive me for not even listening. Please return new life to my conscience. Let it not be cauterised by the thinkings and the ideas which are not biblical. And to that end, the Lord says, I will forgive you your sins. Know that you could never save yourself, but I've done everything to save you. Trust in me. Trust in me and be saved. Amen.